Well, all semester long, friends, we've been uh, asking the question, what does it mean for us to be salt and light? Or if you like, what does it mean for us to be different uh, for goodness sake? The language of salt and light comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Note, he doesn't say in that sermon, you might be the light of the world. He doesn't say you could be the light of the world. He doesn't say, gosh, I sure hope you turn out to be the light of the world. Jesus says, you are salt. You are light. And we have considered uh, in uh, the semester so far what exactly that means. What does it mean for us to be salt and light? What does it mean for us to be different for goodness sake? What does it mean for us to be in the world but not of it? or a counterculture for the common good. It's been our focus. The first half of that semester, we took our cues from the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel had a lot to teach us about what it means to be salt and light in a difficult place. Kidnapped as he was from his home and brought to Babylon U, where he served as a student for, where he studied as a student for three years before serving in his government. Um, we talked about identity. We talked about cultural currents. We talked about work. We talked about worship. Um, Small daily practices that we could put into place that might help strengthen our relationships with God as well as our neighbors. All of those things, right, uh, we covered the past few weeks. We are now leaving the book of Daniel, and we're starting on a new book, uh, the book of Esther. And she, too, has a lot to teach us about what it means to be salt and light. It's a different book, right, but the same series. What does it mean for us to be different, uh, for goodness sake? The book of Esther uh, is a difficult one. It is a hard story uh, to sit with. It's the story of a girl, uh, a teenager, who is forced into sexual slavery. She is raped repeatedly by the king, And because he likes having sex with her, she becomes the queen. Esther is the victim of injustice. But as a queen, uh, she is able to be a force of justice. Um, Thanks to her courage uh, and thanks to her convictions. And it's because of those Right, her courage and her convictions, that she's able to avert another injustice, which would be the genocide of the Jews. Um, these twin themes of justice and injustice, uh, of power uh, and the abuse of power, loom front and center uh, of our study of the book of Esther. If we are to be salt and light, in 2017, right, in this world of ours, it is absolutely critical that we spend a few weeks exploring these issues of injustice uh, and what justice requires. The first point of tonight's sermon is this. If we are to be salt and light in the world, we need to come to grips with the true nature of the world into which Christ has cast us. We need to come to grips with the notion that the world we are sent into as salt and light is a world that needs salt and light, precisely because, amongst other things, it is a world full of corruption, right, of rottenness, and it is a world uh, 
darkened uh, with injustice that needs salt and it needs light. Justice is the right use of power. Uh, Injustice is the abuse of power. Injustice is taking from uh, others what God has rightly given to them, Uh, namely their life, their dignity, their liberty, uh, or the fruit of their love and labor. That is what injustice is. It is taking uh, these things away from people who have a right to those things. And it is a world, uh, and this injustice, right, is what in many ways we are introduced right away uh, as we start uh, the book of Esther, right here uh, in chapter 1. Look at it with me. Okay, the book of Esther begins with a party. And the man of the hour is a guy named uh, Asuerus. Uh, Asuerus was the supreme ruler of the superpower of his day. Uh, his empire extended from Ethiopia to India, over 127 provinces. And chapter 1 begins with him throwing a lavish, no-holds-barred party to celebrate his power, his glory, right? His, uh, the pomp, right, of his greatness, is, is as the text puts it. Seven days of celebration, seven days of self-adulation. Uh, the kegs are out. Uh, the cocaine is on the table. Everyone is getting hammered. Right? The rules of this party is there are no rules. There, are, there is no restraint. If this uh, party were being held in 2017, I imagine that the song that would be blasting from every speaker in every room would be the song Starboy by The Weeknd. Do you all know it? Uh, you can look up the lyrics on Genius.com. The, st- the song starts, I'm trying to put you in the worst mood. Ah, In other words, I'm trying to make you jealous. P1 cleaner than your church shoes. Ah, Millie point two just to hurt you. Ah, His car, I know it sounds weird for me to like read the weekend lyrics, but just bear with me. Um, that P1, the Millie point two is his 1.2 million McLaren P1, which is way cleaner, way better, right, than your Sunday best. Uh, All red lamb, just to tease you, ah, okay, this is another car, it's all red Lamborghini, none of these toys on lease to, ah, right, he owns it all, he's just rubbing your face in it, made your whole year in a week to, yeah, he makes in a week what you make in a year, Okay, main chick out of your league two, side chick out of your league two. Now he's bragging about the woman in his life. Like, you couldn't get a date with his girlfriend, let alone the girl he's seeing on the side. And then the song cuts to the chorus, which repeats at the end, I'm a mother flipping star boy. Okay. A star boy is Jamaican slang for someone who has sex with lots of women and who is uh, someone who's very cool or important. And that is precisely what Asuerus wants you to, to believe about him. It's exactly what he wants you to think about him, that he is a mother-flipping star boy. Asuerus obviously has power. He obviously has resources far greater, right, than the weekend. But he's clearly abusing both of these. 
Leaders are supposed to serve the people that are under their care, but this leader is exploiting them. While people are starving to death in his kingdom, this king is living it up and he is drinking it up as he lounges on couches of silver and gold. There is injustice here in Esther 1. A lot of injustice. It is a world where the poor are quite, uh, they are raped of their resources. And it is a world where the poor are quite literally raped. It is a world of brutal dehumanization and sexual exploitation and predation. Where women are treated as property and girls are forced into sex slavery. Now this is not some far off world. Like this is not some other planet and some other solar system. This is not just the world of Aswaris and Esther and Vashti. This is our world. It is the same one. Right this very minute, there are 20 to 30 million people living in slavery. I don't mean some figurative slavery. I mean in real physical bondage. 20 to 30 million people right now. Every year, one million children are forced into prostitution, and that is one million new children, okay, every year, who are raped for profit. Most kids enter the slave trade as 12, 13, 14-year-olds, but there are some who enter the trade younger than that. Enter is not the right word, forced. Okay? Ours is a dark and corrupted world. And sometimes the beauty and the, um, the placidity of Burlington, Vermont can obscure that fact, can it? But it is this, right? You just need to look a little bit beyond. Or you can even look with some, like, you can walk down Church Street and see it too. Right? It's a, it is a dark and corrupted world. Back to the party here. On the seventh and last day of the party, Asuerus sends for Queen Vashti. He summons her to come and strut her stuff before a bunch of drunken slobs. He is seeking, or maybe he's not even seeking to do this. It's just something that he does. He has denied her her dignity. And he has slapped a number on her. She's not Vashti, the image bearer of God. She's a nine. She's a ten. Not only is this an assault on her dignity as queen, right? It's an assault on her dignity as a human being, as an image bearer of God. And it is abuse of power. It is not right. It is not just. And Vashti says, no. No. In a rotten world, darkened with injustice, one person has the guts to say no. And when she says no, the reader wants us to say yes. That's right. When Vashti says no, that track, Starboy, right, it skips a beat. And the world takes notice. Literally, the world takes notice. The powers that be are startled by her no, and they scramble. 
They're afraid. Vashti's now precipitates a crisis, and the image is kind of a funny one. We're meant to sort of smile a little bit, because you have all of these world leaders, all of these wise men, huddled in a, in a room together, and they're fretting. What are we going to do? If word gets out that Vashti said no, there might be a revolution, right? Women all over the world might say no to their abusive, the, the abuse of men in their life, and then what? So they conspire together. What are we going to do? And they say, I, I th- we've got a plan. Let's, let's take her off the throne. Let's make sure she never uh, can be seen by Hesuerus again and send out an edict, right, that women must listen to their husbands. And the king's like, I like that idea, I like it. And so he does it. The irony, of course, right? This plan of taking away her, her power, taking away her throne, taking away her platform, and giving it to someone else. The irony of this is that her replacement, Esther, is also going to learn how to speak truth to power as well. It's hard for her as a teenager who's been kidnapped and forced into sex slavery to get it right off the bat, but she will learn. And you will see her learn. And we will learn from her. Right? But Vashti tonight teaches us some things about what it means to be salt and light. About what it means to speak truth to power. Who is going to be um, salt and light uh, in a dark and corrupted world? She's our teacher. In one of his books, um, Gary Haugen, who founded the International Justice Mission, he writes that oppressors know that they never have enough power, lies, or loyalty to withstand the onslaught of even a fraction of the power and truth and courage that humanity could at any moment amass against them. Therefore, they rely on, and they utterly depend upon, the inaction of despair. They know full well that their preeminence depends on most people in their community, their nation, and their world doing nothing. And this is the essence of Edmund Burke's conviction about human history. He said that all that is necessary uh, for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. All that's necessary, right, for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. But Vashti says no. Vashti does something. And in saying no, Vashti gives us a clue into what is needed to fight injustice, what is needed uh, in order to be salt and light. Salt and light requires speaking truth to power, and that in turn requires courage and conviction. It requires courage and conviction. This is the second point I want to make tonight. Point number one is that in order to be salt and light, we need to come to grips with the fact that we are living in a dark and corrupted world. If you don't believe that, right? if you don't recognize that, you are stuck in the salt shaker. But what is going to move you out of the salt shaker uh, and into a rotten world? That, my friends, is going to take courage if you're going to leave the salt shaker. You need courage to do that. And you need conviction. And this is point number two. Okay? Being salt and light requires courage 
the conviction. First, we need courage. Um, before Willa was born, our daughter, uh, Megan and I would put our hands on Megan's womb, and we would feel uh, little Willa's kicks. I would put my ear on Megan's tummy, and I would hear just a, a, another heartbeat. And as we would do these things um, together, just we would dream about this child who, had, at that point, had not been born into the world. And we would talk together about who this kid was inside this womb, who this kid is, right? Who this kid is going to be. And we decided early on um, that we wanted to name her Willa. We just had a hunch that who this kid was going to be was going to be somebody who was going to stick up for the weak, who was going uh, to be a defender, a protector. Uh, and that's what the name Willa means. It just so happens to be both of my grandmother's names. Uh, my dad's mom and my mom's mom were both Wilhelmina, Willa for short. But the name means defender, protector. Um, that's who we think Willa is, and that's who we hope and pray that she becomes, right? Uh, every night before, um, when I put her to bed, I pray for her, and I pray a few things for her. I pray that she would be strong and gentle, and I pray that she would be courageous and kind. I mean, this is the closest thing I get to pronouncing some blessing over her. But here's why I pray this. If Willa is going to be Willa, if Willa is going to be a defender and protector, she is going to need these things. Strength and gentleness, courage and kindness and good measure. If Willa is going to be a defender protector, it means that she is going to be standing up to bullies, right? It means that she's going to be putting herself in the way of those who might attack the weak. That's what protectors do. That's what defenders do, right? She's going to have to resist the bully. She's going to have to say no. She's going to have to say stop when it, when it matters. And standing up to bullies and standing up against justice, that requires strength, right? That requires courage. Courage is the virtue none of us really care to ask for because none of us really want to be in situations where we need it, if we're honest. If you're asking for courage, it's probably because you find yourself in dangerous, risky situations. And let's be honest, none of us really want to be there. Courage, as C.S. Lewis writes, is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. Pilate was merciful till it became risky. What about you and me? Will we do the right thing? Will we be different for goodness sake? When it matters, right? When it is risky to be that and to do that, will we have courage? I hope that we will. But courage is not something that we can just drum up. Right? Courage, I think, is found in two places. Right? The strength of courage really flows out of two convictions, I believe. 
One, that God hates injustice and wants it to stop. And secondly, that we are not alone in our fight against uh, injustice. If you want courage, you're going to find it in these convictions. That God loves justice and he hates injustice. And that you're not alone in your fight against it. We know who God is and what he is like because he has spoken to us. And his words have been, kept, uh, have been kept safe and true for us in a book that we call the Bible. It's what we read here every night, uh, that, well, every Tuesday night. Right? In the Bible, God's testimony is clear. God loves justice and he hates injustice. Just a few examples. The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. That's Psalm 11, verse 7. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Psalm 103. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah 1. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8 God's great anger and condemnation of injustice is what gives me hope to seek justice in the world. Uh, writes Gary Haugen again. Standing with my boots deep in the reeking muck of a Rwandan mass grave where thousands of innocent people have been horribly slaughtered, I have no words, no meaning, no life, no hope. If there is not a God of history and time who is absolutely outraged, absolutely furious, absolutely burning with anger towards those who took it into their hands to commit such acts. You want a God who gets angry at stuff like that. Right. If you're going to fight injustice, you want to know that God is fighting it too. And the testimony of Scripture is clear. He is. And He does. And He will finish what He started. Knowing that God hates injustice and is fighting, it gives you courage to fight it too. Okay? And as Martin Luther King put it, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It's just, it really... That, that is helpful to know. Not just as a neat idea, but actually as, as the truth. Justice wins. Secondly, you need to know, first of all, that the first conviction where your courage is going to come from is knowing that God hates injustice. But the second conviction that's going to give you courage to be salt and light in this world is this. You're not alone. You're not alone in your fight against injustice. I'm reminded of a scene uh, from the Gospels. Uh, it's the Gospel of Matthew. The disciples are in a boat uh, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And there's this horrible storm that is tossing this boat to and fro. It is raging around them. It is chaotic. It is dark. It is terrifying. And they think that they're going to die. But Jesus walks out to them in the midst of the water. 
He is there in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the darkness. And he says to them, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter, emboldened by Jesus, Peter, emboldened by these words, tells Jesus, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. There are many dark and scary places in the world. There are many dark and messy places in the world that would rightly cause your heart to faint. But you all, Jesus is already there. He's in the midst of them. And he says to you tonight, take courage. Don't be afraid. Come to where I am already. You are not alone in your fight against the forces of darkness in the world. Because I am right there. So come and fight alongside me. Jesus says you're the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And in order for salt to be effective, it must come into contact with what is rotten. In order for light to be effective, it must come into contact with the darkness and penetrate it. Do not move away from scary places. Move towards them. Now, I know this will take courage But you can have courage knowing that there is a God who loves justice and hates injustice, who says no to it, just like Vashti did tonight, and who is with you in the fight against chaos and against the abuse of power, who is with you every step of the way.